Welcome to Season 4 of Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. I am Catherine McPhail, your host. I'm an architect practicing in Eastern Massachusetts. In past seasons, we've covered all sorts of subjects with the intention of helping homeowners who may never have been involved in a renovation before and they felt like they needed to know what they were doing. We've built up over 100 episodes on everything from roofing to foundations, heard many renovation stories, and learned how to hire various professionals. This season, we'll be focusing even more on the challenges of renovating old houses while incorporating new technologies, using my own new house as a case study. We'll have all sorts of different guests, most having to do with what I'm just calling the next level of renovations. Now that you've got these 100 plus episodes under your belt, I think you're ready. This week, we have another episode related to efficient heating and cooling. As regular listeners know, we've been debating how to heat the smart old house, talking about mini splits a fair amount. We've had a number of discussions, one of which prompted a listener to write, quote, I'm writing you about your latest show, which I was disappointed to hear your perspective on mini splits. I believe this is slash was a missed opportunity for an architect to dig into how to address one of the common problems with modern home renovations, the attractiveness of mini splits hanging on the wall and exterior. Being an architect and going through this process would be a huge benefit to your listener audience. I'm sure you can come up with some really interesting solutions. And he goes on to give some links on how to hide mini split mechanicals and that sort of thing, which I will include in the show notes. And he's right. I haven't been perhaps that positive about them, but that doesn't mean I would never use them in any of my houses just because I don't feel like it's appropriate for this particular house. It just wouldn't work. We have too many walls. There are a number of reasons why mini splits wouldn't work in this particular house. I have used them in my clients' houses. I have also made cabinetry to kind of make them look a little bit better. We have finally come around to the idea of installing two air source heat pumps here in the smart old house, one ducted system feeding the first floor from the basement and the other one a ducted system feeding the second floor from the attic. Maybe on an upcoming show, I can talk about ways in which many splits can be incorporated into the house in an aesthetically pleasing way. And by the way, this is only my aesthetic preference. And just because it doesn't seem right for my house doesn't mean that the mini splits are not right for your house or any house. This goes without saying, I hope, but just in case, there it is. In this episode, we are talking about geothermal or ground source heat pumps with Patrick O'Gara, a senior energy consultant with Dandelion Geothermal here in New England. Patrick is passionate about his work and has said, quote, it's the most impactful thing I could be doing with my career and my life, unquote. He helped to clear up some of my basic questions regarding geothermal, and I hope you get as much out of the conversation as I did. So welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Tell me a little bit about what dandelion geothermal does. I don't know why I should have that at my house instead of um, air and air. Air air source heat pump. There you go. Air source heat Uh, pump. Yeah. So geothermal uh, or ground source heat pump. um, Effectively, when you look at the technical description, it's really all in the name, right? We're we're sourcing heat from the ground and pumping it into your house. Right. Um, And uh, the beauty about that is that it doesn't require us to light things on fire uh, nor, you know, rely on some sort of cold outdoor air temperature in mm. order to produce your heat. So it's the most efficient type, uh, at least here in the Northeast, of uh, uh, HVAC system that one can buy today. Okay. Uh, you know, so that's that's what we do. And uh, I think Dandelion's specific sort of hyper-focus has been uh, making that process more affordable for the average homeowner. Um, you know, historically... Geothermal, I mean, it's not a new technology. It's been around for decades, um, even here in the U.S. Uh, the challenge has always been the cost and accessibility. Um, and so 
biggest thing that we found when we got into the market to create Dandelion and to open up a new business was that really because of the nature of who installed geothermal systems, it was really just people who were willing to write blank checks and and say, Mm -hmm. yes, please install a geothermal system for me. The manufacturers of geothermal heat pumps were wise to this and kind of only sold bells and whistles, Mercedes-Benz, top-of-the-line equipment because they knew that the the few buyers would pay for it. And, you know, we saw that as, you know, our first opportunity to sort of dive in and say, you know, there's something to be done about that. Um, One thing we realized very quickly was that uh, a lot of the manufacturers' heat pumps that, that were available on the market at the time, this was only, you know, five years ago now, were including variable stage uh, heating, which really is not super necessary. You know, it's a nice feature, don't get me wrong, but for the average person looking to upgrade their home heating system from an old 80% efficient furnace, any type of geothermal heat pump is going to be a vast improvement. We don't need to go the entire, you know, length and, and make it the bells and whistles model. So we developed a sort of Toyota Corolla uh, of heat pumps, if you will, and mm. um, that was really the basis on which we centered our our uh, entry into the market then in, in New York in the Hudson Valley. Well, that's a great idea. So I don't mean to be rude, but how much does it cost? Am I yeah? So it, of course, uh, and it it really depends on the house is the the cop out answer. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, I think for for your average you know two thousand square foot house with uh, you know, a single air handler, a single furnace that we're trying to retrofit, um, depending on where you live and, and your local state and utility level incentives, your net cost could be anywhere from, you know, as little as 10,000 bucks to as much as about 30. And, you know, you can go upward from there if you have larger or more complex houses. Mm. Uh, I think one of the most expensive systems I ever installed was uh, about $200,000 net cost uh, mm-hmm. after rebates and incentives. And that was in a 13,000 square foot house with eight air handlers. So, wow. um, you well, know, that's... geothermal really ranges in complexity. And so we're yeah, used to getting that question, as you can imagine, right? Like, well, what does it cost? And yeah, I know it's an impossible question to answer. So, but my line of work, so I, I work as an energy consultant, which uh, is a fancy way of saying I sell geothermal systems to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to spend most of the time 60 plus minutes with someone talking about their house, about their property, and trying to make sure that geothermal is a physically good fit for that house and that property before we even get to talk about right, what yeah. it costs. Uh, you know, and, and so the broad answer is there's a range of costs, uh, yeah. but you know, to get a specific answer, you just have to meet and, and determine uh, what it is you need, what your house, uh, what, the, what the right prescription is. Right. So when you say physically appropriate, my understanding is there are two different ways that it can be installed, but you have way more knowledge about it than I do. So can you explain what that? Yeah. Be? So so there are many different ways that it can be installed from the type of geothermal ground loop that you're installing to the type of heat pump that you're using. Uh, there are so many different iterations of geothermal, uh, but Dandelion exclusively focuses on uh, closed loop systems, right? So uh, those can be installed either horizontally or, you know, probably 90 plus percent of the time in our case, uh, vertically by drilling. And, uh, you know, there's also comparable types of ground loops out there, but we also focus exclusively uh, on the vertical closed loop system because it's the longest lasting and most reliable type. 
mm-hmm. you know, it, it has the least amount of uh, possible failure points from, you know, a, an outside perspective. The, the closed um, loop versus the open loop. That's right. Yep. An open loop system, uh, of course, exchanges water uh, between the the system and, and the ground itself, right? It usually exchanges groundwater, but it can use, um, mm. you know, a, a lake or a, some sort of pond or body of water like that. I even saw one installed uh, once down in... Uh, in Westchester County in, in New York uh, that had an open loop to the ocean, what? Uh, which which would wow. never be approved today. It was installed in the 70s before uh, anyone really knew wow. what geothermal was around here. So maybe we should back up for a second just to explain what it actually is. So for people who yeah. don't have any knowledge whatsoever. Yeah. So, so to be really specific here, an air source heat pump uh, specifically will exchange heat between the outdoor air and the indoor air in your house. And a ground source heat pump or a geothermal system will exchange heat between the ground and and the uh, the house itself, right? So that's the, you know, functional difference between the two. Uh, we'd call all of them heat pumps, right? right. Um, and I think it's important to point out that heat pumps are all good, right? Like there, right. there are better models and worse models and better setups and worse setups. But I think overwhelmingly... Uh, anyone in the energy efficiency space would agree that heat pumps are really the way to go, regardless of whether it's ground source or air source. Right. Um, I think in this climate zone here in the Northeast, ground source is usually better because of the climate that we experience. Mm. So if you want right. sort of a, a, a vertical closed loop 101, uh, if you will, Yeah. what we're really doing is, let's just say for sake of uh, explanation, that we drill a single vertical well. Uh, that's appropriate, by the way, to serve about a 1,500 or 2,000 square foot house uh, around these parts. But uh, we drill a single uh, deep vertical well. It might be 500 feet deep, so uh, very, very deep. Mm. But they're they're usually pretty narrow, so only about five inches in diameter. So no kids and, can fall uh, in the well. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Uh, you don't have uh, Lassie come in to tell you that <laughs> you know someone's someone's well, falling gosh. down it. That would be um, awful. You know. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. They improved that technology 50 years ago or so. Uh, but yeah, so today we, we install um, you know, uh, a, a vertical closed loop system, and that consists of this 5-inch diameter well, 500-ish feet deep, that contains one one and a quarter inch high-density polyethylene or you know, flexible plastic pipe um, with a U-bend at the bottom of the loop. And so if you're looking at it as a cross-section, right, you're looking down the well, you would see what looks like two of those one and a quarter inch pipes, right? Inside of this larger five inch diameter well shaft. And it would be surrounded over the entire column by backfilled bentonite clay, uh, which is uh, a grouting material that serves to, one, improve the thermal conductivity between the earth and the ground loop, improving the uh, efficiency of the system, and two, stabilize those smaller pipes inside Mm. the larger diameter of the well. So that's inside the larger pipe. So it's that's like correct. The pipes are inside, like in the section. It's like the field is that clay you're talking about. Okay, that's right. Yeah, and right. and so um, you know, a good example of what happens in the beginning of the heating season is we flush a forty-five degree fluid out to the ground, and it comes back at about fifty-five degrees. And that's because the ground's average temperature over the depth of the well is about fifty-five degrees uh, hmm. Fahrenheit. 
And so, um, you know, we want to choose a liquid that's appropriate for the job. Uh, in this climate zone, that means, you know, we, we want to make sure it doesn't freeze, right? Because eventually what happens is uh, after you extract so much heat from this well, you decrease the temperature of the fluid inside of the well. Um, and in particularly cold climates, uh, you can actually decrease the temperature of that fluid over the course of a heating season by as much as 20 degrees Fahrenheit. And so uh, we really want to make sure it doesn't freeze. So we'll usually use an 80-20 mixture of water and propylene glycol, mm. uh, which is FDA food grade, uh, you know, but we use it as a coolant, right? It has many different purposes. And so, you know, uh, if in October or November, when you turn the system on, you send 45 degree fluid out and 55 degree fluid in, because you're extracting the heat difference there, right? Uh, effectively, the heat that you're bringing out of the earth is... Uh, what we in engineering would call the delta T, right? The difference between the outgoing and incoming temperature or 10 degrees. And then, you know, we, we take the heat pump and we pressurize that difference in heat, you know, and, and so uh, that that's what gives you a heat that's suitable uh, to heat your house. Mm. Of course, as part of this process, as we're extracting heat from the ground and the ground loop, uh, both end up cooling off a little bit. And so by the end of the heating season, let's say, oh, I don't know, April, uh, you might be sending 28 degree fluid out to the well and it comes back at 38. So mm. you can still always obtain heat, um, you know, from, from the ground loop. And it's, you know, usually the case that the average temperature in the ground loop is much warmer than the average temperature of the air outside. Well, that's pretty awesome. Then if you have like, let's say you don't, people don't install a geothermal system right now and they have an air um, heat pump. Yeah. Uh, can that be switched out at some point? Like uh, when you get to Absolutely. the house, like the internal, the system in the house is the same either way, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And there's a couple of different ways to install air source heat pumps. Um, you know, some of them are ducted models, right? They hook up to conventional uh, HVAC duct work throughout the house. Others are uh, sort of cassette models, right? So they've got ductless options. And actually, uh, the same is true for geothermal. A lot of people don't realize that. But geothermal has uh, what we call the multi-split option, uh, in which you don't necessarily need ducts. You can just like um, you know an air source heat pump use ductless wall mount or floor mount options uh, hmm. to condition the space. So yeah, a few different ways you can go about doing it. But typically, someone who's got an air source heat pump has it configured in one of those two fashions, and you know you can you can replace it with a very similar and comparable geothermal system. Well, that's great news for people who aren't in your area yet, for example, like me. Right. Because right? you, <laughs> you don't come all the way down here. Yeah. So why don't more people get it? Just because it's expensive? Uh, it's not even because it's expensive at this point, because uh, for anybody who's heating with oil or propane or natural gas, mm. uh, as we know by now, like in, inflation has hit really hard, but especially for petroleum prices. So, uh, I mean, frankly, we could probably charge more than we do and people would still sign up. Yeah. The challenge that we're dealing with right now is, is uh, ironically part of the same problem. It's, it's demand is so high that we're just overwhelmed in our current service territory trying to fulfill orders, mm. um, which, you know, again, especially in this economy is like not a bad problem to have. It's one that I feel True. very proud of, in fact. Mm -hmm. um, you know, but yeah, it's great uh, but for that's, you. Yeah, yeah it yeah, really is. Awesome. But it keeps a cap on the uh, expansion capabilities a little bit, right? At least for now. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, that won't always be the case. So does this happen all throughout the country or is it just good for cold climates or it must be, I mean, the earth is the earth temperature everywhere. Yeah. I mean, objectively uh, taking off my, well, my hat is stuck on and it's not a <laughs> geothermal hat, but taking off my proverbial geothermal hat for just a moment, I would say that like parts of this country are going to be better suited to air source heat pumps and parts of the country are going to be better suited to geothermal or ground source. Uh, colder climates in general tend to skew much harder toward geothermal making more sense because um, you'll also see a larger difference between the average ground temperature and average air temperature in, in that area. So, you know, if you're in uh, the Northeast like we are, uh, you know, you, you make out pretty well with a geothermal system because the temperature uh, in the coldest winter months gets very cold and, and your ground temperature by comparison is much warmer. If you live somewhere like, oh, I don't know, South Carolina, right? Or, um, you know, anywhere with a more temperate climate like that, uh, I'd say an air source heat pump might make more sense because, mm. you know, it's less work. Uh, the biggest differentiating factor between installing a ground source and an air source heat pump um, is really just the scope of work, right? You, you don't need to drill in order to install an air source heat pump. And so they're more uh, flexible and suitable to more installation environments, yeah. right? You know, so geothermal is worth the undertaking, but probably only in the colder climates uh, at this time, at least until and, and if any incentives change elsewhere to, to you know, make up the difference. But there are really great incentives to install geothermal systems up here um, because purposefully uh, many of the northeastern states also have their own environmental uh, initiatives and geothermal is a big part of that, right? Eliminating fossil fuel combustion from homes. Mm -hmm. You know, combusting fossil fuels for space heat uh, is the number one source of carbon emissions in, in buildings uh, in the northeast. And mm. so... Uh, anything you can do to reduce the impact of that uh, is welcomed and encouraged and, in fact, incentivized financially by many of the uh, utilities and, and governments locally. Elsewhere, things are a little bit different. There's, I know uh, this isn't my personal area of expertise, but I know we have a team internally at Dandelion who researches rebates that are available and, and new ones that pop up here and there across the country in different states. Uh, I know Colorado is doing some really exciting things and Maryland as well. And so eventually our grasp, uh, and, and not just our in terms of dandelion, but the geothermal industry at large, uh, I suspect will begin to expand uh, outside of just the Northeast, um, you know, in, in the coming years because of that. So when you talk about different um, properties qualifying or not qualifying, so what property would not qualify? Like if if am I if I'm only about ten feet above the water mm -hmm. table, would if the water yep. table is pretty close to the surface for me, is that could I still have geothermal or or not? Yeah, that's actually the case at my house. Uh, so where my geothermal uh, system is installed, I've got a, a single well, you know, vertical closed loop system in my backyard, uh, and we. I think hit water at about two and a half feet. Uh, mm. I've always had a very damp backyard. And in fact, uh, if you go back in the property records, it's because a creek used to run through my backyard and they uh, eliminated it as part of the development plan for the neighborhood. So um, mm. uh, I've got a very high water table and I've got absolutely no problems. In fact, arguably, uh, if you have a high water table, 
you also stand uh, in many cases to have a more efficient geothermal installation because that water moves over time and it transports heat with it. True, true. All right. So the horizontal version, mm-hmm. why would anybody go for that versus the the vertical? It, it's hard to say. I mean, uh, I am of the strong opinion that vertical is always going to be a better option in the long term. Mm. Um but it's also more difficult and potentially slightly more expensive uh, to install a vertical system because you have to roll a drill rig on site and, mm-hmm. and do yeah, uh, drilling work versus, you know, just picking up an excavator at your local rena center and, you know, uh, getting the job done. Now, you have mm. to, of course, have a lot of land for that. Um, you can imagine if we're drilling hundreds of feet deep to achieve a, a, a proper ground source installation uh, with the horizontal system you know, we're going to have to dig up several hundred feet worth of uh, of yard as well, right? Mm. So usually for, again, an average size house, the 2,000 square feet, uh, you can have a geothermal, a horizontal geothermal field is as large as like half of a football field. Oh. Um, you know, it just depends on how you set it up. But yeah, uh, but right, yeah so... there's there's a lot of immediate practicality issues with that, of course, in our neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, I I find that it's it's very rare that someone will have enough land that it makes sense to do this with. And even when they do, they don't want to disturb it. Right. Um, you don't want to disturb it. Or you can't plant any trees or anything else like that in that whole area, right? Right. So. Yep. 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 That's right. And, and that's not really as much of a limitation with a vertical system because, um, you know, other than avoiding that immediate small area where we've installed the system, there's there's no footprint. You know, it's it's hmm. uh, it's very small. And hmm. um, in fact, we drill in driveways all the time. Right. Do you? Uh, that's one. That's a great one idea. Important option. Yeah, because you don't really use a driveway for anything other than driving on top of. And so you can pretty safely assume there's not going to be any digging there. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially when someone is already in the market to replace their driveway and we're doing a retrofit or uh, they've got a gravel driveway, which is really easy to return to its original condition. Uh, mm. It can be the best option for drilling because it usually represents a flat, stable platform for the drill rig. So does it? do you have a thing at the top of the well that sticks up above grade or can you just have like a cover, hole cover? So you won't physically see anything, at least with our installation and with the industry standard installation, everything's going to be buried at least three feet below grade. So you're not going to physically see anything at the surface when all is said and done. Uh, which again is, you know, why we can put them in driveways, right? We don't want to have yeah. people bumping into them well, with, with yeah. cars and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I guess the the resistance that I've come up against, as you already mentioned, was the the um, investment into geothermal. So sure, you know, thirty thousand dollars for the geothermal, like the well and the system. Let's say, not mm-hmm. even including the inside part. So, what could I say to my clients to convince them to make that investment? Yeah, well, especially today when, you know, oil is six plus dollars a gallon. Yeah. Um, this is money that you're going to be spending anyway. Uh, if you're if you're lighting fuels on fire inside of your house, you're also lighting your money on fire inside of your house. Ooh, and that's a good one. Uh, no, no one. No one really likes to think of it that way. It's very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you get your oil delivery, you know, on the ticket, it doesn't say like, Hey, by the way, you're by lighting this oil on fire, putting fifty eight hundred pounds of carbon into the atmosphere, right? Like, yeah, no, do. nobody says these things that make us uncomfortable. But those are the real reasons that uh, people switch. It's because 
A, I'm going to be spending this money anyway, and B, I'm not going to get anything for it, right? Yeah. In fact, what I'm getting for it is a poor return on my environmental impact, right? That's um, very, very true, yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm paying big bucks to pollute, right? Mm-hmm. Who wants to do that? No I know. one. Nobody wants to do that. And also just the indoor air quality from the, the potential hazards from having gas in your house is Yeah, I mean... It it definitely makes me sleep a lot easier at night knowing that I'm not lighting stuff on fire inside of my house, right? Um, for <laughs> many, many different that. reasons. That's so upsetting. It's, it's the truth. I know, but it's upsetting to hear it when you say it like that. I mean, since yeah. you put it that way, maybe right. I do need a geothermal. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> or an air source heat pump. Perfectly valid as well, right? Depending right. on your circumstance. But Right. Uh, well, and I can yeah. always replace it later. So maybe I will That's right. go that way. Could you also argue that a house that has a system in it would be more valuable to people in the future? So that when you're making this investment, it'll increase the value of your house too? Yeah, I mean, especially in the market right now, right? Like uh, the (laughs) real estate market is absolutely insane at the moment. Um, And so like, you know, I think when people make an investment in any sort of energy efficient upgrade uh, in their home, uh, I think today it's expected. Uh, in fact, the industry standard, not just in geothermal, but with uh, any sort of energy efficiency improvement, like insulation, right? Mm-hmm. We have not historically seen, you know, increases in resale value attributed to those things. And today we are seeing it. Today we're seeing that if house A and house B are for sale right next to one another, uh, and they're identical, other than that one heats with oil and one heats with a heat pump, the heat pump house sells faster and for more money. Hmm. Um, we're trying to do everything we can as a business to capitalize on that, right? Because it turns even the firmest non-believers into believers when they see, hey, I can spend $20,000 on this geothermal system and instantly boost the value of my house by 30000 right? Hmm. Um, you know, for example... And obviously, the specific amount is going to depend on other factors like where you live and, uh, you know, what your house is like and uh, so on and so forth. But we, yeah, are finding pretty, pretty strong results to support uh, that there is a a high increase, uh, you know, associated with, um, you know, installing a a geothermal system in terms of your resale value. Yeah, I think it's maybe 20, 30 years ago, people weren't as concerned or interested in those sorts of aspects to a home. But I really do think right. people now, I mean, we should be, but you know, people, people, of course. young people, young people these days, they seem to be on it. So that's good. I'm glad, glad to hear that. We're, we're, we're trying. I promise. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. We're doing what we can. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, at least I'll consider. I like to consider myself young. I, I'm. You are young. You seem young. You're about. You're about to have another baby, right? Or your wife. Yeah. Is, so that, yeah. 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 And my my older baby, who's not a baby anymore, he's he's five, has now identified oil trucks on the road with something negative. Right. Every time we pass an oil truck, he's like, "Ew, gross, dirty oil." And I'm like, "Yes, you know, I'm doing my wow. job. Good job. Good job." That's great. That's great. When you're looking at a whole system, does it take up less room then or is it less of an eyesore outside? Yeah, so you physically don't see anything at all uh, outside. There uh, is one exemption to that, which is if you live in a house that is slab on grade or 
in an area where otherwise we we have no choice but to bring the geothermal lines in above mm. the foundation mm. um then that was the case at my house we brought my geothermal lines into the back of the house which is a walkout basement um, and so where they came in is on top of the foundation uh, and in that area where they come up from about three feet below grade to the surface there's like a pvc board enclosure uh, you know a box that contains the piping and protects it with insulation and so in my case, you see this like, you know, eight inch by 12 inch PVC board enclosure that I've, you know, since painted and made look nice. And, mm -hmm. uh, but that would be like the absolute worst case scenario in terms of what you see. Uh, otherwise, there's nothing like an outdoor air conditioning condenser with, with this system. Uh, in yeah. fact, people who upgrade from an air source heat pump or from, you know, a conventional HVAC system report that that's one of the, their, their favorite underrated uh, features of the system is that they no longer have that annoying outdoor bulky loud piece of mm. equipment doing their air conditioning yeah i know that i live in a really dense neighborhood or my old neighborhood is a very dense neighborhood and people complain about the neighbors compressors all the time oh yeah, yeah. i mean it, it is really loud it's one it of those things loud. that we we block it out you know it's like a, a background noise but once you stop hearing it in the in the like in the fall mm -hmm. right when it starts to shut off you're like Oh man, that thing is terrible. How old is your air conditioner, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. I I actually I got one of my neighbors to replace an air conditioner once uh, because of something similar. I could hear it going mm. kicking on at night, and I was like, "That's making that's that's not making the right noise." How'd you get them um, to replace it? Did you buy it for them, or did you just ask no? I them? just I just told them it was you know they were wasting their money on an inefficient old appliance, right? You think of it the same way as if you're you know, uh, if your gas tank had a leak in it, right? Like right. you would get that patched up and repaired immediately. Right. You um, yeah. You know, yeah. but people don't really think of it that way when it comes to their home energy consumption. That's true. Uh, I've seen people who come to me with electric bills that are 500 to to $1,000 monthly oh. in the summertime. And it comes down to, you know, oh, I figured out that, you know, my my air conditioner was working double time because it was like short circuiting or whatever, right? Any number of different issues uh, I, I've yeah. seen caused by like poor maintenance. And, and that's directly relevant to what we're talking about here because one of the direct advantages uh, to having a geothermal system in your house is the lack of any exposed outdoor equipment, mm. um, you know, which ultimately needs maintenance. And especially in a semi like coastal area like where you are, Mm -hmm. uh, that salt air really eats away those outdoor components much faster than it does elsewhere. Uh, and so there you might see 8 to 12 years as an appropriate lifespan for an outdoor air conditioner. Uh, and inland, not much better, maybe 15 to 20. Hmm. Yeah, that's not very long. Yeah. I guess I don't think about replacing them. So who else wouldn't be able to have a one? Who else wouldn't qualify? S you have to have the money to do it. Too small. Yeah, too I mean, small. the money... We can work on the money. Uh, the money is like, not that we're wheeling and dealing over here, but like Massachusetts, for example, has uh, a very equitable rebate program in place. Uh, they offer, as long as you've weatherized your home and, and uh, taken advantage of the pretty steep rebates and discounts that they offer for doing that, in fact, and this is talking about improving your insulation and air sealing the house, and making sure your energy efficiency is, is tight and up to date. Um, as long as you've participated in that steeply reduced cost program through Mass Save, 
they'll also allow you to uh, access a $15,000 rebate for geothermal system, regardless mm. of the size of your house. Wow. Um, so for people who live in smaller homes, especially, uh, a geothermal system is still a great option because, um, you know, Massachusetts sort of applies that rebate, uh, again, equitably across the board. Um, so nice. uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, different ways that we can make it work financially. So the bigger things are like when you physically can't do it. Uh, and to that point, you just you need to have a property that's large enough for us to roll a drill rig onto. Um, and that is not that big, by the way, right? Like we have worked on properties that are measured in square feet in terms of size uh, rather than acres. My yeah. property is, you know, a third of an acre uh, mm -hmm. and we did it just fine. No problem. But for houses that are, you know, I'm thinking about like Boston, right? You've got just row after row of yeah, uh, brownstones and you just have no property. Yeah. Right. Maybe someday, in fact, like arguably with the drilling equipment that is available today, it could theoretically be done in many of those places. Hmm. It's just such a logistical nightmare to try to coordinate, you know, all of yeah. the work that has to be done. And it makes a little bit of a mess. And uh, hmm. so it's not really a good fit for tight properties or densely populated areas most of the yeah. time for that, that reason. That explains why my projects don't have geothermal, because... You know, like five, my old house was like 5,000 square foot lot. A lot of these lots are yep. small, really small. What's what's the one thing that you, we haven't covered that you want everybody to know about geothermal that you feel are like the most misunderstood or just what you would like to put out there? Installing a geothermal system is the single best thing that you can do for the environment as a homeowner, period. Blows everything else out of the water, particularly in, again, in this climate zone, you know, where it makes some sense because we're otherwise heating with fossil fuels. I would say uh, that is, without a doubt, the single biggest reason that I do what I do for a living. Uh, again, I, I, have, I have a master's in engineering, and despite that, I sell stuff over the internet for a living. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I do that is because it's putting my money where my mouth is when it comes to the environment. Uh, as an avid defender of the environment, this is the single best thing that you can do to reduce your carbon footprint if you're lighting oil or gas on fire to heat your house. Wow. Okay. Well, you convinced me, but it's not available in my area, right? So I'll just have to yet, wait. Yet, yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'll just wait. In the meantime, yeah. I'll get an well, air. Well, we'll be here. An air heat pump. Yeah, and I think that's a really good idea to to be very clear, right? Like, um, you know, I, I have no, not only do I have no animosity against the air source heat pump crowd, uh, I, in fact, strongly encourage their adoption. Uh, because, again, for what I just mentioned, right, Air source heat pumps are a great option in places where you can't physically install a geothermal system. Um, mm -hmm. So densely populated areas and properties that don't have a lot of square footage, those are, are really good fits for air source heat pumps. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. I know you were the, one of the busiest people in Massachusetts right now. So thanks for, <laughs> of course. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll stay in touch, but good luck in November. Hope thanks. that goes well, too. <laughs> I appreciate it. I, I think so. It'll be better than most Novembers I can recall recently. Right. It helps get through the winter, too, having a new baby yeah. around. Yeah. Of course. Speaking of staying in touch with Patrick, you can learn more about Dandelion Geothermal at their website, dandelionenergy.com. Follow them on Facebook and LinkedIn and on Instagram at Dandelion. All links will be in the show notes. Thank you for listening and thank you so much for sharing this show with your friends. It is growing all the time and I really appreciate that. 
I would love to hear from you if you have anything to say about this episode or past episodes, good or bad, or a suggestion for a new episode. Send me an email at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven is a proud member of Gable Media, the most engaged AEC network on the planet. Check out my other show and all the rest of the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. And until next time, take it easy.